Carrying on our series in Mark, the reading is Mark 11, verse 1 to 10. As they approached Jerusalem and came to Bethphage and Bethany at the Mount of Olives, Jesus sent two of his disciples, saying to them, Go to the village ahead of you, and just as you enter it, you will find a colt tied there, which no one has ever ridden. Untie it and bring it here. If anyone asks you, why are you doing this? Say, the Lord needs it and will send it back here shortly. They went and found a colt outside in the street, tied at a doorway. As they untied it, some people standing there asked, what are you doing untying that colt? They answered as Jesus had told them to, and the people let them go. When they brought the colt to Jesus and threw their cloaks over it, he sat on it. Many people spread their cloaks on the road, while others spread branches they had cut in the fields. Those who went ahead and those who followed shouted, Hosanna! Blessed is he who comes in the name of the Lord. Blessed is the coming kingdom of our father David. Hosanna in the highest heaven. Doesn't it seem like forever that we were waiting for COVID to be over. There were so many new things that we had to kind of get used to. Lockdowns, roadmaps, circuit breakers, news briefings, three-word slogans, and just when we thought things were getting better, new variants. We've all had to experience doing lateral flow tests in our throats and noses, and don't we hate them. And no, it hasn't gone. It's still with us now, but we're told we have to learn to live with it, a bit like we do with flu. And I know, like me, many of you were kind of waiting and waiting and waiting for that moment when we could begin to lift the restrictions and begin to get back to some sort of normality. But that hoping and expecting for the end of the COVID restrictions is actually nothing compared to the level of waiting and expectation that had been going on in the nation of Israel for hundreds of years before the point we get to in our passage this morning. They've been promised that God was going to come and send a new person who was going to lead them into freedom and that expectation, that hope was heightened when the Romans came and occupied in, in a very brutal way. They were longing for that moment when finally they would be free. So it's no wonder that when there were some hints that it might just be happening, there was the party to end all parties on the road going from Bethany into Jerusalem as Jesus rode in on the donkey. 
And the big question in everyone's mind was, is Jesus the king? Is he the one? Well, let's have a look at some of the signs along the road that tell us what was going on and why. I'm going to show you a couple of road signs and let's see how good your highway code is. I know it's changed a bit, but these are still valid. If I can get the clicker to work. Can we have some new batteries or a finger on the button, please? Okay, so those are the signs for an uneven surface and tanks crossing. Well, I'm going to offer you some alternative suggestions for them, which are, if we can have a click. Oops, nope, back one. There should be another reveal. There we go. Camel ahead. Or... I really like this one, by the way. Fried breakfast. <laughs> Look at it again. You see what it looks like now, and you will not be able to unsee that. <laughs> when we were little, or when I was little, we went on holiday to Cornwall and drove past Penzance Airport, and uh, there was a sign which uh, said, danger, low-flying aircraft. And as we drove along the, end, the road, at the end of the, the road, there was the same sign, but it said, danger, past. But being Cornwall, someone then added IES to the sign. <laughs> danger, pasties. And that's kind of stuck with me, as you can tell. Well, the people on the road on that first Palm Sunday had signs too, signs that had stuck with them for their whole life, signs they were looking out for. Not road signs, but signs that God was finally going to do what they were expecting and hoping for. But they didn't really understand what they meant. So while they were asking, is Jesus king? They weren't asking, what sort of king is Jesus? But it had been so long and nothing had happened. Maybe some of them had given up hope. But now, with Jesus, I mean, surely it wasn't happening now, was it? And that sense of excitement begins to build. Notice where this was happening. Bethany. Bethany is where Jesus' friends, Lazarus, Martha, and Mary, lived. In fact, John tells us in his gospel that Jesus and his friends were visiting them the previous night in Bethany. Now, Lazarus, you may remember, had died, and Jesus had raised him back to life. That was all the people of Bethany could talk about. There was Lazarus mania. Raising people from the dead was the sort of thing God promised would happen when his special person arrived. People were getting really excited, particularly in Bethany, about who Jesus was and what he might be coming to do. So when he turned up again that day, you can imagine the level of excitement. In fact, the people had got so excited that John tells us that as well as planning to kill Jesus, the Jewish leaders also planned to kill Lazarus. 
Again, poor chap. Jesus' arrival got everyone excited in Bethany. Now, I used to think that the bit about Jesus sending two disciples off to get the colt and come back and whatever was something of a miracle. That Jesus had this foresight that they would be allowed to take the donkey. But if you think about it, this is happening in Bethany. This is happening where everyone's getting really excited about Jesus. So when someone says the Lord needs it, well, if Jesus needs it, he can raise Lazarus from the dead. Of course he can borrow my donkey. And Jesus really knew what he was doing when he rode into donkey, rode into donkey, rode into Jerusalem on this colt, on this donkey. Because the crowd would, with their memories of the signs that they were looking for, remember the prophecy from Zechariah chapter 9. And they would have put two and two together and made an enormous number that basically said, it's happening now. Our hopes and dreams are going to be fulfilled. The prophecy says this, Rejoice greatly, daughter Zion. Shout, daughter Jerusalem. See your king comes to you righteous and victorious, lowly and riding on a donkey, on a colt, the foal of a donkey. A crowd lapped it up. Is Jesus the king? And so they threw their cloaks and palm branches on the ground in front of Jesus, a bit like Sir Francis Drake throwing his cloak over a puddle for Queen Elizabeth proclaiming that this was something special. Now, to the crowd of people, this looked like the Messiah moment. And so they start quoting from the Old Testament again, Psalm 118, 25 and 26. Lord, save us! That's the Hebrew word, Hosanna. Lord, grant us success. Blessed is he who comes in the name of of the Lord. Those are the things they were shouting out. But Mark tells us they were also shouting, blessed is the coming kingdom of our father David. A little bit of history for you. When David was king of Israel, the country was bigger, more powerful, more prosperous than it had ever been before and ever been since. This was the golden era that everyone looked back on and Oh, wasn't it great when? The good old days of King David. And maybe Jesus was going to be a king again like David, and things were going to be great once again. So he's going to save them. And God is going to save them. But not how they think. Jesus had said on several occasions, we looked at one of them last week, that his kingdom wasn't anything like they were thinking because he was going to Jerusalem to be killed. And he was going to be resurrected, but he was, the crown they were going to give him was a crown of thorns. What the people wanted was a political solution. What God was offering was a spiritual solution, not just for Israel, but for the whole world. For the whole of history that would bring in a new era of God's kingdom. 
Something churches are really, really good at doing is looking back to the good old days. Oh, I remember when... Dot, 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 fill in the blanks. Let's never confine our hopes and our dreams, our expectations to what God has done before. Try not to be wistful about the good old days and I long for a return to those because God is doing his thing here and now and it's something that's right for now and it's something that's right for us. And it may be something completely unexpected. I mentioned that there were signs for the, the crowd. Well, there are signs in what Mark wrote as well for his readers. He wants them to see... Sorry, I'll go back one. He wants them to see the signs too. That Jesus is the king. He is even the king who saves. And a king who'd come to restore the kingdom. But nothing like they had expected. Throughout Mark's account of Jesus' life, we hear Jesus talking about the kingdom of God being within reach. It's nearly here. It's close by. Because as Jesus walks in or rides into Jerusalem, he's kind of saying, it's thy kingdom come time. And this next week is going to be pivotal in that. Hosanna is a Hebrew word which is a bit like our SOS. It does mean save us. But it's also a way of praising God because he is the one who saves us. It's a bit like in films when someone sees someone who's coming to save them and they go, oh, my hero. It's a kind of, oh, thank you, it's you, but also you're going to save me, aren't you? A cry for help and a cry of hope. And Mark's readers, and that includes us, can read into these shouts for help and hope that this is exactly what was happening when Jesus rode into Jerusalem. His death and his resurrection will be a response to the cries for help, and it will be the beginning of a new hope, not just for the crowd in Jerusalem, but for the whole world and for the whole of history. Now, sadly, we know the crowd completely missed the point, didn't they? They didn't understand. And just a few days later, probably some of the same people were baying for Jesus' blood and shouting, crucify him. Hosanna, save us, is a shout to God and it's a shout of hope and help. As a church, everything we do should be about Jesus and his kingdom. This church is not about groups and activities and services and plans and ambitions. None of it makes sense without Jesus, the saviour. All we do should be focused on him and him alone. And I wonder what sort of expectation and hope we've got. Are we expecting to hear from him this morning? Are we expecting to meet him this week in the people that we will meet? Are we hoping to see new people coming to faith in Jesus? What is our kingdom hope and expectation? 
and all that we do as a church. I'd love us just to be able to almost step back from it and say, how are we proclaiming Jesus as king through this? Well, so what? People put their possessions at Jesus' disposal in this account. The obvious one is the colt, but there were coats. Some as a saddle and then the rest thrown on the ground, almost like a red carpet. I wonder what would have happened if, when the disciples went and started untying the donkey... The people had said, no, 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 you can't have that. Maybe not a triumphal entry. It wouldn't have been quite spectac- so spectacular with Jesus just walking in. The symbolism would have been lost. It may not have been memorable enough for the gospel writers to record it. So how do we respond to that phrase, the Lord needs it? What have we got that he might say, I'd like to use that, please? Does he need your time? Your skills, your expertise, your experience? Does he need your prayers? Could he use your gifts to encourage, teach, or inspire others? Does he want to use your experience of him to tell other people about him? And I hope you've noticed that I haven't mentioned money or possessions at this point. But since I did, he may have things he'd like to do with them as well. If we sense him untying whatever he needs, are we going to say, okay? Or are we going to say, hold on, I'm not sure about that. I mentioned earlier that I think that what happened when Jesus sent his disciples to get the donkey was simply a response to all that was going on around at the time. I know that Jesus could have used divine foresight to say, this is what's going to happen. It could have been a prophetic moment, but actually I don't think he needed to in that moment. I think it was just, he knew there was a donkey and he knew that people we're likely to say yes. He had an idea, a plan. And God's plans are good, even if they do seem strange. And if we work with God, he will work those plans out in us. They may not always be easy. There's a a joke, I suppose, that if you want to make God laugh, tell him your plans. I don't like that. Because actually God isn't cruel and vindictive. He's not going to laugh at our plans. If you want to make God laugh, ask him to involve, him in his, ask him to involve you in his plans. That will delight him. That will cause him to smile. In the first part of the service, I said, imagine Jesus tells you to go to a garage forecourt 
and take a brand new car that's never been driven. And if someone challenges you, just say, oh, the Lord needs it. I'm not saying that's what God is saying to you. Chances are you'll get a criminal record if you try it. But are there strange things that he might be asking of you, of me, of us as a church? Are we prepared to obey even if it seems strange? I think as we emerge from lockdown, there's a moment for us right now where we don't have to go back and do things the way things always used to be. We can ask God, what new thing do you want us to do? Two and a half years ago, if you'd said, oh, well, we'll have an online congregation in our Sunday services, we would have thought, nah. <laughs> but we do. Hi, folks. What else? What other things might Jesus have in mind for us, for you, for me? The people had been waiting so long for the moment that when they thought it had arrived, they just threw themselves into it wholeheartedly. And I don't know about you, but I've been waiting so long to be able to sing without a face mask. And right now, following my operation, I don't have the ability to sing full lung capacity just yet. But I am at least in spirit. But folks, worship doesn't just happen here on a Sunday. You could sing along to worship songs wherever you are, on your own. You might, if you see me driving along sometimes, see me singing along to a worship song because you can crank up the music nice and loud and no one can hear you. But maybe you are somebody who can write praise poems or draw or paint something or perhaps if nobody else is looking, have a dance to God. Maybe you get excited as you read about God in the Bible. Think about what God has done for us and worship him however and whenever you get the opportunity. But it's not just about an act of worship. The Bible talks about us offering our whole life as a living sacrifice to God. Whatever we do, we do it as if we are doing it for Jesus. Did you know that the Hebrew word for work, avodah, also means worship? It's the same word, work and worship. Which I think is brilliant because it means that whatever work we do, we can do it as an act of worship to God. The way we carry out our daily activities, whether you're studying, you do your best and you offer it to God as an act of worship. If you're a delivery person, you deliver things well and cheerfully and don't just throw them over the fence as an act of worship. If you're doing housework, we do it thoroughly and offer it as an act of worship. Whatever you do, you get the idea. It can be an act of worship. But part of it is just having that consciousness, saying to God, this is an act of worship, not simply carrying on with the routine. 
I wonder how you respond to what you've heard this morning. Maybe you're someone who needs to read the signs and recognize that Jesus is king. Maybe you're aware that you've got something Jesus needs. Are we open to him asking us to do something new, strange, knowing that his plans are good and putting aside our own thoughts and plans? Or maybe we're thinking ahead this week and how can we worship God this week with all that we are and do? Let's pray together. Jesus, when you rode into Jerusalem on that donkey, the symbolism wasn't lost on the people, even if they didn't fully understand. And we pray that that symbolism would not be lost on us today either. We recognize that this week we haven't always declared you or made you king of who we are and what we do. And we're sorry for that and ask for your forgiveness and We know that because of your death on the cross, you do forgive and you restore. Give us your spirit afresh, we pray, to help us. Help us not only not to make the same mistakes, but also help us, we pray, to live our lives as an act of worship to you. Help us to listen to your plans, however strange or bizarre they may be, and to trust that you are in control. And help us, we pray, if we sense you putting your finger on something that we have that you need to use to have the courage and the desire to do so.